0: Hello, fearless ones. Last time on Dark Heights, we went for a weird ride into the mind of Charlie, a man who seemed to be living two lives in separate worlds. And while he was in one, he had no memory of the other. We also got a glimpse of Lynna's childhood and the strange dynamic of the mysterious Severin family. Join us for episode 11 right after this word from our sponsor
1: who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery and especially when solving it means that i get to bring out my competitive side even if it's just me against the clock i just can't wait to uncover all the secrets so june's journey is a game that is completely up my alley and i think you'll love it too June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What
2: does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how
1: it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. From divorce, to call-out culture, to masculinity, to
2: girls' confidence, season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist
1: ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts.
0: In today's episode, we swing back to Tess for a panoramic view of some of the most important relationships in her life, just as she receives an invitation to a swanky gala called Nightfall. I don't know about you, but I sense some foreshadowing. So let's get right to it. This is Dark Heights, Episode 11.
2: Why do I think about that night so often now? Picturing moments from it, recalling impressions, feelings, as if I could reach through remembrance and retrieve myself from the past. These snapshot memories. Zach watching me, his hair across his face again, as I talked about my year in the city. The benches at Coma Jump, wood worn smooth, next to my leg in MW plus KD89 etched inside a scratched-on heart. Night sky, dark blue, out to the edges. L.A. alive with light below. We were there, Zach and I, talking for hours, looking out over the city. And then the sun rose. It feels like a dream of us, happy together, oblivious. And that's why I think about it, remembering. Look at us. We don't know anything yet. It's the other side of all that happened after. Sometimes I want to go back to that night, but I know I can't. I want to close my eyes. I can't. When I remember everything, it comes to life again. All of it living on now. Nowhere else except right here. Let's face it, the date with Zach was a failure. Not at all a romantic evening out, but something else. Something that, after all, I think I liked better. I hadn't planned on telling him about L.A. I don't even know why it happened. Maybe I understood that Zach would listen. Maybe I just needed to tell the story, to hear myself tell it to another person. Ever since I'd come back to Park Heights, I hadn't even considered being with anyone. That part of me was shut down. Maybe it was a necessity, telling Zach about what had happened to me. And maybe then... After I'd finished the story, maybe I'd be able to restart this part of me I'd been forced to shut down and pack away. And I was right about Zach. He followed everything I said so intently, the perfect listener, the perfect confessor. He took my hand, and we held hands for a long time. Even after my major downer soliloquy, the two of us kept on talking. It was easy. We talked about movies, music. He talked about his senior year. I talked about the customers I met at my job. A shift had taken place throughout the night, in me at least. I wasn't sure what he was feeling. But I knew now that I wasn't in love with him. I knew I would never fall in love with him. It didn't matter. We were close in some other way now. And that was what I wanted. The dawn was done. We had watched the sun come up, a quiet unfolding of yellow-red light into low, pale clouds, and the day was brighter now. Too bright and too harsh for the two of us who'd been up all night. We were making our way back to Zach's car, holding hands like little kids. Thank you, I said to him. You're welcome, he said uncertainly. For what? This night. I don't know what that was, to tell you the truth. It was great. He was shaking his head. Mm, But it wasn't really a date. No, it wasn't. I looked at him. Does that bother you? He shrugged. I don't know. Not really. I don't think I've ever just spent time like that with someone like you. As messed up as me, you mean. No, of course I don't mean that. You're a deep person. You're really something. That's what I mean. When we got to his car, I stopped him and pulled him closer. We kissed. Or rather, I kissed him. I think he was surprised by it. I'm not sure why I did it. To show him what the night meant to me. Maybe even to test what I felt. To give that spark between us one last chance to kindle into something. And the kiss was chaste. It was sweet. It was tender. It would be the one and only kiss we'd have. And I'm sure we both knew it. Thank you, I said, brushing the hair back from his eyes. I mean it. Zach didn't say anything. He started his car and drove me home. I wouldn't see him again until the night of the fundraiser at Arson. Nightfall. A few days later, I opened the mailbox at home to find an invitation to the fundraiser, It was a beautiful thing, a heavy, cream-colored envelope with my name written in flowing calligraphy across the front. Inside, there was a thick card, the invitation itself, also written in sweeping, graceful strokes of jet-black ink. Nightfall. Arson. For the Wellness Center. Admittance, Tess Bellamy. My iPhone started ringing at almost the exact moment the invitation was out of the envelope and in my hand. It was Lena. Did you get it? She said. If you're talking about the invitation to Nightfall, yes, I said. Yes, I did, just right now. It's a little bit like you're watching me or reading my mind or something.
3: I promise I'm not.
2: Lina said seriously.
3: Honestly, this fundraiser has been really poorly planned. There wasn't even a theme until I suggested one. Do you like it? Nightfall.
2: She said the word again in a husky, mysterious voice, stretching it out.
3: Nightfall.
2: I do like it.
3: Well, you're on the VIP guest list. Free drinks for you all night.
2: Wow, OK?
3: There's just one catch: You have to wear something dead sexy. Why? Because it's fun. Oh, Lena. Because you're stunningly beautiful, but you don't think so, because you'll be the belle of the ball. Honestly.
2: She concluded,
3: I fucking can't wait to see all the guys there lose their minds when you show up. I don't know, Lena. Nope, no discussion. Dead sexy. That's it.
2: I sighed. After what had happened in L.A., I had given away almost everything in my wardrobe, and all the designer pieces or anything evening wear were the first to go. I couldn't even stand to look at them. My uniform lately was jeans and a hoodie. I wondered if Lina was going to say she'd picked something out for me. Considering what she'd done with the blouse for my date with Zach, I was ready to reject her help, but she didn't bring it up. I reminded myself not to let go of the incident with the blouse. Lina needed to explain herself. I was starting to understand she had a talent for slipping out of apologies, explanations, consequences.
3: Okay, I gotta go,
2: Lina said hurriedly.
3: I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to hang out with you lately.
2: That's all right, I laughed.
3: I'll have more time soon, after night falls over.
2: Off the phone, I turned around and ran into my mother, hurrying down the entrance hall to the front door. She didn't even see that I was there until she stepped right onto my foot. She recoiled, blinking. It felt like I'd just caught her being up to no good. You're headed somewhere in a rush, I said. I'm late, yes, for a meeting at the center. That new group you're a part of? I asked. She nodded, brushed past me. Mom, I continued as she went out the door. Mom, wait. I need your help. She stopped. With what? The fundraiser at Arson. Nightfall. I've been invited to it, and I need something to wear. The last few words may have come out more desperately whiny than I had intended. My mother sighed. I know that. You know I'm going? Or you know I need something to wear? Both, of course. She came toward me suddenly, quickly, so that I couldn't move back fast enough. Her arms went around me. Just like that, we were hugging. It wasn't something that happened much anymore. After the hug, she held me at arm's length. Look at you, she said. So mature. She nodded to herself. Yes, it's just perfect. Then she whirled around and went out the door. What's perfect? I shouted after her. Go look in my bedroom, she shouted back. It's hanging on the closet door. I put it there for you. She got in the taxi that was waiting for her. I could see her gesticulating wildly at the driver, who sped away, tires squealing. I went into her bedroom and opened the closet. I stood there for a moment. It was her dress. The famous dress. I didn't even know she still had it. I lifted the hanger off the hook and took the dress to my room. In the bottom drawer of one of my dressers, I had stashed away all kinds of things from the past, from my life, from my mom's. I found what I was looking for, a popular Hollywood gossip magazine from the 80s. Flipping the pages, I came to the photo spread I'd been thinking of, some party in Beverly Hills. And there they were, walking by the pool together, Amen auf der Nacht, and my mother. He was like a giant next to her. His long, red-blonde hair was bizarrely and wildly overgrown around his squarish, Frankenstein-like face. My mom was in this very same black mini-dress. There was no doubt about it. The same plunging neckline, the same thigh-revealing high hem. She was gorgeous. I put the dress on. Looking in the mirror, it could have been her, we were that much alike. Except for one thing. A lot has been written about my mother, about how, in those Amen Auf der Nacht movies, her expression never changes. No matter what insanity takes place, no matter what horrifying thing happens to her, there's an emptiness in her eyes, and she expresses no emotion. One biography of Amon Auf der Nacht suggested that she was hypnotized every day on the set. Critics wrote that this empty expression was a blank canvas onto which the director projected his world of magical terror. Other critics wrote, unkindly, that Barbara Bellamy was simply a bad actress, an empty-headed girl with a blank stare. I don't look like that. It was a Monday, and the fundraiser was taking place that Friday night. For the rest of the week, Park Heights was buzzing about it, Everyone had received the invitations they had paid for, or, like me, had suddenly found themselves on the guest list. I heard from a few people that there was a celebrity masquerade going on at the party. Surprise guests would be there in costume, masked. Famous people who were connected to the wellness center, and partygoers could place secret bets on their identities— The highest correct bet for each celebrity would win a prize, and the proceeds of all of this would go directly to the wellness center. Mona, at the Green Machine, was especially thrilled about it all. On Tuesday, I was at the store, in between deliveries. All day, she'd been talking excitedly to me and to every customer we'd had that day about the fundraiser. The thing is, she said to me, I've got a little something up my sleeve for the night. She winked and grinned all mischief. I'm bringing a date and it's going to cause some trouble. Mona, I said, "What are you planning?" Well, you know how the wellness center is always at war with the arts nexus, so I'm showing up with Geraldine Davis. I made an appropriate expression of shock and awe. Mona repeated it for effect. Geraldine Davis. In fact, I knew Geraldine Davis quite well. She had been the director of the Arts Nexus for years. I had haunted the Arts Nexus frequently during middle school and early high school, taking improv and acting classes, painting, sculpture, writing. Basically, I took whatever they offered. It was something my mom approved of and a place to get away from her. I had always thought that Geraldine was one of the coolest ladies around. One time, I had spent hours putting my hair in dozens of little braids because her dreadlocks were the best. Are you guys actually together? Or you're just taking her to arson to cause trouble? Mona blushed. Well, truth be told, I think it started out with me trying to stir the pot a little. But, you know, weirdly enough, something might be going on between us after all. Mona looked down, avoiding my gaze. It's been a long time for me, you know. Not since Karen. Geraldine is one of my favorite people in Park Heights, I said to Mona. Mona. "'Yeah,' she said. "'She's one of mine, too, apparently.'" Just then, a woman, a stranger, came into the green machine. Both Mona and I broke off our conversation to look at her. She wore a dark blue suit jacket over matching dress pants. Sunglasses hid her eyes, even though it was overcast outside. She came right up to the front counter where Mona and I were talking, removing the sunglasses to reveal a stern expression on an exotically attractive face— she nodded briskly at us in a distinctly masculine manner. Then she showed us a polished, shining FBI badge. She said, My name is Agent Mehta. I'd like to ask you a few questions if you have a moment. Mona's eyes went wide. Oh, she said. Oh, why? Is something wrong? Agent Mehta said nothing at first and then responded unexpectedly with her own questions. It's not a surprise that something might be wrong? Are you thinking of something specific that might be wrong? Mona looked at me and then back at the FBI agent. She crossed her arms over her chest. Her chin tilted up slightly so that she was looking down at the other woman. I didn't say anything was wrong. Obviously nothing's wrong here. If you have questions about something, go ahead. Otherwise, we're very busy. I almost laughed. I'd never before had a chance to see Mona channeling her deep-rooted vegan hippies' mistrust and defiance of any and all authority figures. Agent Meta blinked rapidly. Then she did something interesting. I'm pretty sure I saw in her eyes the moment she decided to change tactics. To me, it seemed somewhat frighteningly calculated, but Mona responded instantly to it. Agent Meta smiled warmly at Mona the stern demeanor melting away, and she moved forward and actually put her hand right on Mona's arm. I'm so sorry, she said in a friendlier, more human voice. I get caught up with this badge and with the job, and I forget to talk to people like they're people, you know? Agent Mehta appeared to take in a deep, studying breath. Your store here is so nice, and I'm going to pick up some things. I'm staying at the Evergreen Motel, and you know how it is, eating on the road. Her folksy shtick seemed forced to me, but I saw that Mona was smiling now, warming up. I know it's tough to stay healthy away from home, Mona said.
3: I'm happy to help you
2: pick out some energy bars. We've got awesome kale salads to go to, Agent Meta. Uh, Call me Priya, please. Sure, I'm Mona. Agent Meta turned toward me. And who's this? Oh, this is Tess, our delivery maven. I shook Agent Medaw's hand, wrenchingly strong grip. So, let me get work out of the way, she said. Have you two noticed anything strange going on in Park Heights? Anything at all? Like a break in someone's routine, someone new in town, or perhaps someone you know behaving a little differently these days and you don't know why? Goodness, Mona said. Not really. I said Well, business as usual's a good thing Agent Medaw offered What is it that you're looking for exactly? I asked her I'm not exactly at liberty to say, Tess Then Mona came out with it Well, we've both noticed some strange behavior going on at the Mayfair Karen Day and Jennifer Garris run the B&B there Oh yes? Agent Medaw said Suddenly, she had a small tablet in her hand, and she was taking notes on it with a stylus. Go on. Mona looked at me. It was like she'd ratted someone out and was already regretting it. I don't know if it's anything. Probably it isn't. But they've closed their business for the moment. Really cut back on their deliveries, too, she said, looking over at me for support. Tess, have you noticed this as well? They're acting strangely over there. I shrugged. I don't think anything's that strange, but yeah, they did close up the B&B, I guess. Jenny said that an old friend of Karen's is staying with them. I know that Karen doesn't keep up with old friends at all, Mona added. So when Tess told me this, I thought it was unusual. And they never close the B&B, Jenny and Karen. It's what Jenny loves to do. Agent Meta nodded once, curtly. Thank you, both of you. She stowed her tablet back into an inside suit-jacket pocket. That could prove helpful, but it's probably nothing to concern yourself over. Now, where are those kale salads you were talking about? I should get to work, I said, glancing over at the boxes of deliveries, now untouched by me for far too long. There was another customer lingering in the store, looking over the small selection of gardening books and vegetarian cookbooks that Mona kept on a shelf at the front. He was dressed, like Agent Mehta, in a dark suit that was carefully neutral of style. He had been watching us, listening to us, I could tell. Obviously, he was Agent Mehta's partner. His head turned, and our eyes met for a moment. He was older than Agent Mehta, in his late 40s or early 50s, Anyway, there was a lot of white in his neatly trimmed beard and in his close-cut hair. Though he wasn't a tall man, there was a presence to him. He seemed somehow more dangerous than Agent Metaw, more capable. Yet when our eyes met, his gaze wasn't unfriendly. It felt a little like he knew all about me already. I went around behind the counter. Mona had headed off to the display crisper with Agent Meta in tow and I hefted up a few of the delivery boxes in a stack. When I came back around, the older man in the suit had moved into the way. Allow me to help you, he said. No, it's okay. It's my job. I insist. Well, all right then, I said, unceremoniously dumping my stack of boxes into his arms. I'm going out the back of the store to my car. You can follow me. I got the rest of the boxes from behind the counter, The older man trailed behind me as we went through the back and into the little parking lot. My roadmaster pretty much took up two spots. I kicked the back hatch on a rust spot near the handle. It opened, creaking. We set the boxes in, and I arranged them. Thanks, I said to the man. He handed me a business card. Beneath the blue and gold circular seal of the FBI, the little banners under the crest said Fidelity, Bravery, Integrity, I read his name, Special Agent Juan Garcia-Madero. My cell number, he said simply. If you need anything, don't hesitate to call. Then he went back into the store. Honestly, what did he think I was going to need? And what the hell were FBI agents doing in Park Heights? As I hauled open the front door of the station wagon, I looked across the street and saw Charlie Mill there, standing next to his BMX, watching me. I hadn't seen him since that day when I'd decided to get out of my car and intervene with Lina. though since then I'd been thinking about him here and there. That Lucador wrestling mask. It was eerie. I recalled again what Kevin had told me. I realized that even though I knew something had happened to Charlie in high school, I didn't know what it was exactly. No one in Park Heights seemed to want to discuss it, Right at that moment, I resolved to talk to him. I imagined myself crossing the street and going up to him, saying hello, just like I might have years ago, when I was sitting down at my desk, in front of his desk, at the start of junior year chemistry class. Except I didn't. The moment passed, and I hadn't moved, hadn't worked up the nerve to do it. Charlie turned away from me, and got on his BMX, and rode away. And I turned back to my work, getting into the station wagon... I smiled. First on the delivery list, written in Mona's looping handwriting, was the name Kevin Cho. The only time he overordered anything was when he wanted to talk to me. I drove to his mother's house and parked in their driveway. Looking into the paper bag I was delivering to him, I saw that Kevin had ordered a six-pack of handcrafted cream soda and two bags of high-end organic kettle chips These were really the closest things to junk food that Green Machine had in stock. There she is, Kevin called down to me. He was seated on the top step of the rickety stairs leading up to his above-the-garage loft. I've been waiting hours for this snack, he complained. If I'd known I was bringing you stuff, I would have thrown in some apples or got you a jumbo smoothie from Crazies. I carried his bag up the stairs to the top. Not to be all mom-like but you look weird. Kevin stood up and took the bag from me. There really were dark half-moon pockets under his eyes. Just busy. He shrugged. You're coming to White Mask tonight, right? Oh, right. I had forgotten all about the show. For sure I am. And I got a call from Will Severand. He booked that new band I'm working with, Trist, for the big party up at the mansion. That's cool, I said. Are you going to this fundraiser thing? Now that you're best friends with Linus Severand, I figured you'd be there. Yep, sure am. I'm a VIP, too. I drink for free. Swanky. Kevin was holding his bag of kettle chips and cream soda as if he didn't really want it. It looked like he needed to tell me something, but didn't know where to start. Everything okay with you? I said. He took in a deep breath and let it out. I have to talk to you about your mom, Tess. I froze a little, then forced myself to relax. Might be nothing. You can talk to me about anything, you know that. I know, I just... I don't like to get involved or say negative things about people. You never know how they're going to react. I laughed. Kevin, come on, it's me. He wasn't acting like himself, and I was starting to worry. Well, what is it? What's going on? I paused. What did my mom do this time? Nothing like that, Tess. But it might be serious. I'm not sure. There's something at the Wellness Center. A new group. It's called The Circle. From what I've gathered, it's some sort of new-agey, healing, bullshit thing. Doesn't sound that bad? No, he said emphatically. No, on the surface, it's nothing. But... well, The Circle seems to be growing fast. They've taken over 101 Wing. And, well, I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure something's not quite right. I grimaced. I'll talk to my mom. I'm sure it's nothing, Kevin. He nodded absently. Maybe. You seem really spooked about it. I am, it's true. Make sure you talk to your mom. I will. I sighed. But I have to go. Deliveries. Thanks for letting me know. My mom's been going to the wellness center all the time, in fact, now that I think about it. So you're probably right. It's worth bringing up with her. Tess, he called after me as I was heading back to my car. Don't forget, white mask tonight. Bring Lina. The band misses her.
0: This program is sponsored by Factor. Hey, everybody. If you're trying to eat healthier and want to make your life easier, Factor's got it all figured out. Delicious, ready-to-eat meals that are delivered to you fresh, never frozen. They're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. That's right, two minutes. No meal prep. not a Zip. There's 35 different options that change every single week. You can choose the calorie-smart option if you're trying to lose weight, like I am. There's a protein-plus option if you work out on a regular basis, like I'm trying to do. There's even keto if you want a low-carb option. There are also 60 add-ons if you want to make your meal larger or you can choose a snack. It's completely flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Head to Factormeals.com FR50 and use code FR50 to get 50% off. That's code FR50 at Factormeals.com FR50.
1: Shopify.com slash realm.
4: White Mask was playing at Culture, a new music
2: venue in a converted old movie theater near Sunset Junction in Silver Lake. It would probably cease to exist in a few months. There had been a few failed venues in the same place already. I spent a ridiculous amount of my green machine paycheck on a cab into the city, mostly just to avoid having to try to park the roadmaster somewhere. I went a little early, too, so I could do some shopping in all the hipster boutiques throughout the Silver Lake area. Culture looked like it was being run by a Marxist collective that was about to collapse, the two guys sitting at a particle board table in the lobby, both of them sported identical goatees, didn't even disengage from their argument about queer feminist theory as they stamped wrists and dumped ripped tickets into a fishing tackle box. I hadn't come with Lynna and wasn't meeting her there. She had said she was busy, but I wasn't going to be abandoned by Severins after all. As I headed from the coat check toward the doors to the venue, there was Will Severin, waiting for me by the bar with a beer in each hand. He was severely overdressed for the occasion in what looked like an Armani shirt and tie and pants and Paul Smith dress shoes. It made an impression. "'Lyna told me to come,' he said. "'And she told me to buy you a drink.' "'Mission accomplished,' I said back to him. "'Your fake ID must be pretty realistic.' "'I don't ever get carded,' he said easily." He was, in fact, a mature-looking high school senior. There was definitely a quality about him, that he might just be older than you thought at first. Like his father, Marius, he was agelessly difficult to pin down. Not for the first time, I wondered what was going on with me and these younger guys, Zach and now Will. He was talking. Lina said this band's really good, too. Hip-hop, funk music, right? It's not really my thing. I was taking a sip of the beer, and almost expelled a mouthful over the floor. Is that what Lina told you? That White Mask is a funk band? Let me guess, he said. They're actually a country band, or a string quartet, or anything other than what Lina said. Something like that, I said. I saw that my non-committal response evinced a slight frown from Will, which was satisfying. I'm not sure why, but Will's appearance at the show was bothering me. I was realizing that I'd actually been a bit relieved when Lynna said she wasn't coming. Being on my own in Silver Lake, an area of LA I never explored when I lived here, but now thought of as more of my own neighborhood than anywhere else in the city, and coming out to support White Mask, it was all a little like escaping Lynna's sphere of influence and re-entering my own life for a time. And now here was Will Severand, plying me with drinks. There was something else. As soon as I saw him there at the bar, I couldn't get out of my mind what he'd said to me as I was leaving Arson that night, when I'd met him for the first time. We'd been talking about my mom, and then he'd said, but you, Tess, she's got nothing on how beautiful you are. I didn't think I'd been affected, but now, frustratingly, I'd been enjoying being alone, those words echoed. Why don't we go in, I suggested, thinking there'd be less opportunity for conversation once White Mask got started. They were the first band of four on the bill, not that I planned on staying for all four. Sure, Will said, following me. We were there just in time. The stage had darkened. A few of the growing number of quiet, intense White Mask fans were already on the floor, separated from the others— Everyone else was hanging back, observing the concert audience's time-honored tradition of giving absolutely nothing to an opening band. I turned and looked at the back of the room, and Kevin was there at the soundboard. He gave me a stupid grin and two thumbs up, whatever that meant. An aggressive electronic bass beat rose out of the speakers, and feedback fell in layers from guitars over top of it. I suddenly regretted not bringing earplugs. The lights came on in a blinding flash, and France was there at the microphone stand, appearing out of nowhere. He was covered in gold glitter, from the woman's blonde wig he was wearing, gold glitter paint slopped over his shirtless torso and black spandex pants, to the toes of the insanely high, golden platform shoes that I was sure he would launch into the crowd with a kick. When did white Mask go all glam, I thought, expecting them to dive right into a Bowie cover. Instead, they played a single 25-minute song, in which France became the only thing worth seeing on the planet. His tortured performance went from wordless howls to screaming, flailing, manic dancing. I think he was reciting something in Sanskrit. At one point, he collapsed onto the stage, then sprang right back up like a de-strung puppet. It was electrifying. I felt sorry for all the other bands on the bill. Will Severin had actually taken a step back away from the stage when France opened up the performance with an ear-splitting roar wrapped around the microphone stand. Something about that pleased me. Will's look of total shock. After the set, we went back out to the lobby, and Will bought two more beers. That was insane! He exclaimed. Did you like it, though? I was inwardly readying myself to get angry at him if he said no, even though I was of two minds about White Mask. Not really a fan of the music, if what they did could be called music, though seeing them live was something else. Will, surprisingly, was more than into it. Oh, man, yes, I loved it. Maybe because I was expecting a folk band or something. No, it was amazing. I had no idea anyone was doing anything like that. Just, wow. He interrupted himself. Hey, there's a rooftop patio in this place. I wouldn't mind getting some fresh air after that. I shrugged. Yeah, sure. A narrow flight of stairs went up to a second story, another lobby area with a bar. On one side, there was access to a venue balcony and off to our left, there was an open door with a breeze coming through it. The sign above said in faux Cyrillic blocky letters, outside ski. The rooftop patio was surprisingly spacious. Miniature trees and terracotta pots separated benches and a few picnic tables into discreet hangout zones. Will went instead to the edge of the patio. We put our beer bottles on a weather-beaten wooden counter that ran along the chest-high railing, looking down at taxis and motorbikes and smart cars darting around double-parked traffic on Santa Monica Boulevard. Will was looking at me, measuring my response to us being together. I'm glad I came out to this tonight, he said. White mask is pretty awesome, I said back. I’m getting the feeling that you’re just sort of tolerating me being here, I have to say. I don’t know about that." He laughed. <laughs> that wasn’t a no. I met his eyes. He and Lina looked so much alike, of course. They were, both of them, perfectly beautiful human specimens. Yet I was beginning to see the differences too. Will’s eyes were a much darker brown, almost black. And there was none of Lina's almost hostile disaffection in Will's expression. He had the same confidence, but it was plain to see he cared about what I thought. When I'd first met Will, I'd been surprised at just how identical his looks were to Lina. Already now, it felt to me that the differences were more important. Tess, he said suddenly into the silence between us, I have to apologize for something. Okay. I said I said some strange things when we met at Arson that night when you dropped Lina off at the house yes I thought you did but you and Lina are nothing if not strange I didn't say this out loud though and Will went on after the pause in particular I told you not to trust Zach yeah I said I remember which I regretted the instant I said it so why did you say it I wasn't going to let him off the hook. Not a chance. He didn't look away from me like most people would have when admitting fault or guilt. I didn't want you to get to know Zach. I wanted you for myself. His direct, unreadable gaze was unnerving in so many ways. I chose to ignore it. So you just lied to me, outright, easily. I did, yes. And the worst thing is that nothing could be further from the truth. Zach is a fantastic guy. No one's more trustworthy than he is. But you couldn't be friends with someone like that, I said. Finally, Will blinked and looked away. So you broke it off with him. What was it, he made you look bad? Maybe I was being hard on Will, but I found myself furious at him all out of proportion to the moment. Will was slow to answer, and his voice was quieter. I was told by my father to cut Zach out of my life. What? I shook my head. I don't understand that at all. Zach was too close to Lina. We were protecting Lina. And you just blindly followed your father's orders? You could have talked to Zach. My sister's off-limits, man, or something like that. My father is a very all-or-nothing kind of authority figure. I was still shaking my head. And you told me that you didn't know Dylan at all but you go to school with him. At that moment, and this is the truth, I honestly didn't know who you were talking about, Will said. Dylan and I have some classes together. We do, but I don't know him. We're not friends. I've said maybe two words to him all through school. I'm not... Will considered his words. I'm not someone who makes friends. I keep to myself. Zach was, Zach is, someone I treasured in my life. I miss him every single day. I surprised myself by slamming my beer down onto the drink rail. I was so mad. I didn't want to feel sympathy for Will. I didn't want anything to do with Will. Maybe not with Lina either. Maybe I was better off without either of them. Except I was drawn to them, both of them. I felt that Lina needed me, and I could give her what she needed. I could be her big sister. And Will... There was more going on with Will than I wanted to admit, so I slammed down my beer. I said, I don't get it, I don't buy it, I don't want it, I'm out. I got up to leave. Tess, he said, wait. He reached out for me, and I moved toward him. We kissed. The car slows down and turns into the gas station parking lot. It's Zach's car. It's Zach at the wheel. It's Zach who gets out. And it's Zach who holds me in a fierce embrace as I shiver from the rain and cry and cry and cry. What the hell is going on? He says, his voice thick with emotion. I'm sorry for calling you, I say. I shouldn't have called you. Fuck that, Tess. I'm here. He takes his jacket off and wraps me in it. My torn-up dress, mascara down my face, soaked, lank hair. Zach's expression almost makes me laugh hysterically. It's like a cartoon character's consternation. Tess, he says then. There's blood. I'm okay. Well, I'm not, but I'm not hurt. Not really. What happened? I shiver. Can we go? Can you take me home? Of course. We walk to his car, his arm around my shoulders, We get in. I'm in the passenger seat. The car smells like cigarettes. It's not even a smell. It's like all other smells have been destroyed. Something about that comforts me. Zach starts the car. Can you tell me what happened, Tess? He says, without looking at me. My teeth are chattering again. Yes, I say. Zach puts the car in reverse. I see Lina again. I scream again. I see Lina. But it's not like before when I saw her at the back of the gas station or by the side of my car. This time, what I see is a specter, a thing. It crawls toward us on the hood of Zack's car, a horror of an image of Lina, Blonde hair flying, face distended, eyes like holes, arms flung out wide into shadow. It opens its mouth, and darkness vomits out like swarming, massing flies. Screaming, screaming. My own voice screaming. Zach holding me again, screaming into Zach's chest. Make it stop. Let me go. Tess, Tess, Tess. He says my name. Then I tell him what I've just understood. I can't go home. He's watching me closely. What do you want to do? We need to call the police. Okay, he says. We have to call the police. I say again, voice rising into panic. Zack gets out his phone and starts dialing 911. I put my hand over his hand. No. Now my voice is steadier. Not yet. I can see that Zack is confused. He wants to do the right thing, but he doesn't know what that is. We'll call the police, I tell him. We will, but first, there's something I have to do. What, Zack says. I have to go back. Zack says, go back where?
4: I have to go back to Nightfall.
0: Whoa, was that a flash forward? Way to ratchet up the tension, Dark Heights. And kudos as always to Julia Whalen for always nailing the emotional space of each character she voices. I'm loving how this series just keeps on surprising you, you know, like all the the mysteries keep on deepening and expanding into different avenues. I can't wait to see what happens next. Be here next time when the past, present, and maybe even the future of FBI agent Priya Mehta are laid bare. Until then, I'm Pun Bandu, and thanks for joining us for Dark Heights.
1: You're listening to Fear, Dark Heights, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another
4: world. Listen away. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin'. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender, it's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard, every story is valued, so be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller, produced by Haley Wagreich, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whelan, and Neil Helligers. Audio production, sound design, and editing by Amanda Rose Smith. Original music by Chris Miller. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Fear is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton and Felicia Dominguez. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Fear by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.